and welcome to another installment of Chocolate Chat. I am Chocolate Yoda, spelled Y-O-D-D-A-H, because film studios are litigious. <laughs> and today we have as our guest Brett Hill. Uh, he's got a long list of things that he does, so mm. I'll let him introduce himself. Brett, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Hi, thank you for having me on the show. I am a mindful communications coach. I specialize in helping people learn to be more present and engaged in their day-to-day interactions with people um, through the use of mindful awareness and thoughtfulness and some communication skills. Excellent, excellent. Now, um, you've hit upon my first pet peeve in the in the subject of relationships, and that is this uh, advice that everyone gives as to what makes a good relationship. They say communication, right? But the fact that you and people like you exist suggests to me that communication is not necessarily a skill that people are born with. Um, And I'm a professional communicator and have been since I was 20 years old. So to me, I know for a fact that communication is not just something that people are born knowing, but no one tells you that you have to go learn communication. They just tell you, go communicate. Yeah. Right. Um, So how do you, like, how do you approach that? Like in the realm of relationships, uh, because that's what we talk about a lot on this podcast. Uh, How does communication work? Where does it go wrong? And how can people do it better? Whoa, gosh, uh, that's a lot right there. Easy stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, you're you're so spot on in the sense that, you know, we're taught to read, write, and speak uh, basically according to whatever culture you or, you know, your circumstances are. And we're not, it doesn't go much beyond like, you know, how do I... Uh, tell somebody I'm in pain or I need food or I like you or it doesn't really go beyond the, the, the mechanics of getting through your day and scheduling and then reporting on difficulties and preferences. And that's kind of like what we learn to do. And everything else just goes on automatic. So we don't ever right. learn to, to be that you can learn to be more skillful in challenging conversations, for example. Right. Uh, and a big. Part- so how does it go wrong when 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 you have two people? And uh, we could take a deep dive into it, but we only have an hour. But you have two people, uh, like the Celestine Prophecy said, you have two people that appear like the letter C, they're incomplete. And they think that if I meet another C, I'll complete myself, but it never works that way, right? Exactly, yeah. So in, how, does it, how does it break down uh, typically when, when two people, because when I'm coaching people, relationships virtually always come up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think that's the foundation of life. We're, we're social creatures. We need each other and we, we have to figure out how to communicate with each other. Uh, but since we're not taught, communication o- o- often goes wrong. But how do you see it going wrong? Well, in uh, the world of mindfulness, there's a vocabulary for this kind of thing. And it has to do with your the problem is we have brains. <laughs> If we didn't have right. brains, a lot of things would be simpler. But the point, the point is that we, we are basically on automatic a lot. And mm-hmm. so what we say and do is usually the easiest thing for us to say and do, given the circumstances. So it's based on our mm-hmm. beliefs and our biases and our habits combined with what's the easiest thing. So there's a thing they call the default mode network in my lingo. And that's actually referring to the neurological, there's a saying in neurology called the uh, neurons that 
wired fire together wire together meaning mm-hmm. you know if if um if you had an accident with four blue volvos and mm-hmm. another blue volvo pulled into the intersection you're going to go blue volvo i better look out right because right. you've had this right. big network of firing firing around blue volvos sure. so that's just automatic and you can't prevent that right. but is the next blue volvo actually a threat to you no, right. but your neurology is going to go threat, threat, threat. And so this is where yeah. things go wrong with us because we have these preconceived experiences and beliefs and, and somebody walks in the room and they say something and you react to it in a way that isn't really about what they're saying. It's about what's gone on before with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite little, I guess it's an allegory, is if a, if a cat jumps on a hot stove It'll jump off of it immediately because of the pain, and it will never jump on a hot stove ever again, mm-hmm. but it will never jump on a cold one either. <laughs> That's a really good right? point. Right. Yeah. And, it, and it's exactly how humans are wired. Um, you know, trauma bonding works the same mm. way, like people that go through a difficult thing because they're both wired and fired in the same way mm-hmm. that becomes part of how they bond. And in some cases, that's the only thing they have mm-hmm. and the relationship eventually falls apart, but it, it works the same way. And yeah, humans are shockingly simple. And one of my advantages in dealing with humans and especially in coaching is that I don't deal with people's personalities mm-hmm. because those are variegated, right? They're all over the map, you know, So I deal with the essence of humans and Mm. the human brain, as big as it is, is extraordinarily simple, right? It's wired for finding food, um, making babies, and avoiding things that will eat you, (laughs) (laughs) right? That's basically it. And of course, the lives we live now are um, a lot more nuanced than that, and I think that actually contributes to the issues at hand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when when people get together now, there's uh, all these complexities that didn't exist when early humans were around, right? right? And and part of those complex uh, complexities are things that people just made up, right? Because you talked about belief systems earlier, which is something that I key in on all the time. Um, things like, uh, the three date rule and how you're supposed to behave in polite society and how much money does he make? Uh, how curvy is she, etc. down the line There's all these rules that, uh, people just made up, like people adhere to them so powerfully, even though they're just made up, they have nothing to do with how we're wired as human beings. Mm-hmm. And, but they think people think that they're real. Right. So these, you know, I I just spoke to a young lady last week that just um, her whole existence was about all of the rules that she's been taught her whole life, never stopping to ask, well, do these rules make any sense? Mm -hmm. Do they actually work for me? Because they weren't. They weren't working for her at all. She was very unhappy and never questioned those rules. Do you do you see that same mechanism happening in in relationships? Oh, of course. It's a. Um, you have to get present with what's actually going on with you so that you can understand 
how you're operating in relationship to some degree, or you really don't, because if you don't do that, you have no hope of understanding what is going on with another person because you're so right. wrapped up in your own mythology. You can't really see someone else. And so it, it, mm. it, so a lot of the work that I do is to help people. It's some similar to what you're talking about, help people look at their own beliefs. What are their assumptions? Challenge them a little bit and say, well, what are those? So what, how do those assumptions serve you? What are you trying to do? I'm trying to stay right. safe, right? Okay. So how mm -hmm. can we create safety for you right. without necessarily saying the rules of safety are out there? Because mm -hmm. when you put, when you say those, if let's say, um, if I'm getting all this energy, somebody loves me and they want to, they want, they calling me up and they think I'm the best and they want to go out with me a million times. If that's not happening, does that make you not okay? Because if mm. that's true, then they have power over you because you've pushed right. it outside of yourself and you've given it to them because that means they have to behave in a specific way or you're not going to be okay. Now, is that going right. to be the way you want to run your life? You know? Uh, yeah, that's, that's an excellent, excellent point. Um, it reminds me of a conversation I had a long, long time ago. Um, <laughs> this is uh, probably about 35 years ago. Um, this woman I knew told me that if anyone called her a bitch, she would fight them. And I said to her, and I was 20 or so, 21, and I said to her, so everyone can control you. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, because if you just get enraged, because I, I have this, this belief, it works for me, I, I'm not saying it's wrong or right, it's just my belief that I will never respond to words with with physicality, mm. right? I will only respond to words with words, and and I had that belief back then, and and I said to her, so you know, anyone that wants to control you just knows that they can make certain vowel sounds yep. out of their mouth, and then you're you're shot out of a cannon, yeah, you know. Um, and you used a word earlier that I absolutely love, the, the mythology that people have. Mm -hmm. I, I, I talk about this a lot, too, and I use the same exact word. Mm. It's, it's this narrative that people have. When I was speaking to this young lady, the narrative was so clear to me. Yep. You know, and, and, and really, what is a narrative? It's the story we tell ourselves about, about ourselves. About ourselves, yeah. Yeah. And the trouble with that narrative very often is that it's based on really terrible information <laughs> <laughs> right? or really bad experiences, you know, like, you know, right, like, really yeah. bad experiences and really old experiences. Mm -hmm. So very often when we get older, um, we don't ever stop to revise our beliefs yeah. or, and change the narrative. You know, uh, the example I use very often is, uh, you know, let's say I'm talking to someone in their 40s or 50s. I'll ask them a question that's purposely provocative. I'll say, do you ever talk to a 10-year-old about your relationship issues? <laughs> right? And they go, well, of course not. And I go, why? Well, the 10-year-old doesn't have the experience and the knowledge and the wisdom to help me with my... I said, okay, yeah. I said, but everything you've told me today... Uh, it uh, has been based on beliefs that you developed by the time you were 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So you are literally consulting a 10 year old about your relationship issues now, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's one of the areas that I think uh, uh, is, is the most common failure 
uh, in the mythology that people create for themselves because it's it's just old stuff. Like uh, we we refer to people uh, as having a certain point in their life that is called their formative years, right? And so why are they called that? Because we are forming our beliefs, right? And it's very necessary for survival. You know, you you gave the example earlier of the of the cars, but a more basic example along the same lines is fire, right? You touch fire, it hurts, and you know your brain says, okay, we, we now are going to catalog this feeling, and we know we want to avoid it. Mm-hmm. So the next time we see fire, we don't touch it. And that that's a great thing because that works for your whole life, right? There's never going to be a time in your life when touching fire uh, is a good thing. You'll, you'll need fire. You'll use fire. You'll cook with it, and you'll warm your house and all that other stuff. But you're not going to just put your hand in an open flame because your brain has cataloged that experience. The problem comes when your brain catalogs an experience when you're like, you know, nine, 10 years old, um, that has to do with something that's mutable and that will change over time, but your brain doesn't allow it to change. And then suddenly you're in your forties and fifties and can't figure out why your relationships stink. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to do. And it usually doesn't, usually people don't begin to explore um, the beliefs that they are holding on to that don't work for them anymore until they're hurting enough that they yeah. need to, they, something in them go, this isn't working. I can't get out of it. I don't know what the deal is. Then they'll find someone like you or me or some, somebody to, to help them kind of look into what's going on here because they can't do it yourself because you get so locked into the, the loop, so to speak. Yeah, well, you, you, I say you can't be the observed and the observer at the same time, you know, and and uh, coaches need coaches, therapists need therapists uh, for that reason. You know, the, the physician heal thyself thing Absolutely. Uh, really only applies to doctors, <laughs> uh, but even doctors need doctors. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's critically important to take the opportunity to step outside of yourself and and let a third party. Uh, reflect back to you the things that you can't hear. Yeah. Um, and and the reason you can't hear them, I think, is pretty simple because these beliefs come to you and, and these narratives come to you in your own voice. And, uh, of course, you're going to believe your own voice. When when you have a thought, you're going to think, yeah, this, this makes sense. Well, <laughs> unless you've done your work and then you know that right. your thoughts, just because you're thinking it doesn't mean it's true. And it takes right. practice, and it's like that's, that's yes. like a big awakening for a lot of people. Like you know, like oh, yeah. you mean I don't have to believe every thought I have? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that and that's the role of coaching and therapy is is to be able to point that out to people. And as simple as that idea sounds, it is uh, it is a complex thing to accomplish yeah. because you're you're you know you have a thought, you're going to go with it because you thought it. It seems perfect perfectly reasonable and it's a thought that you've had your whole life more than likely and so why not go with it Um, until you start doing the work that you refer to and you can start to understand that oh yeah I don't have to be in love with the sound of my own voice well right you know and and consequently in love with the sound of your own thoughts yeah and and people confuse things like strong emotion with proof of validity so (laughs) so so it's like 
It's like yeah. um, you were talking earlier about the stories we have about ourselves. And so this this is also about learning the science about your own neurology. Because once you have a story about yourself and once you have a way and a point of view, um, it's not it, it's true that, you know, you're hearing it in your own voice. But the but there's also a neurological phenomenon happening where you are actively viewing the world through a, a, a set of filters that shape shift your experience to match what you expect and what you're okay with. And information that comes to you that is contrary to that, you will either not hear or you will actively resist because it threatens your identity. So it's not just that I have a story about, about myself that let's say, um, I think uh, I'm not good enough. And so when somebody says to me, um, hey, you did great with this, that just doesn't go in very well. Well, they just didn't really see the details and all that. You'll, you'll, you'll turn it, you won't let yourself have the validity that's coming your way. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and because it's threatening to who you believe you really are, you'll make a reason, you'll tell, a story, you'll tell yourself a story. Well, they just don't know. If they really knew, they wouldn't say that. Right. And then the converse is true also. It's like if somebody says, yes. says, yeah, you did a you did a great job and you believe that you are you did do a good job, then that goes in and it gets amplified, lights up all the yeah. networks going, see, it's true, the truth is real. Yeah. Yeah. The difficulty with all that again is is it's one thing when it's like some, you know, am I good enough? It's another thing with let's say a political belief or um a belief about something in the world and someone is giving you information in contrast to that and it's valid information like the earth is round not flat <laughs> then then right. and you resist that because it's not just that you can't really hear the fact because your identity is wrapped up with the belief it's not just an, yeah. a, a, a question of is it true it's a matter of who am i you're, the fact that this isn't true is a threat to my identity. And that's yeah. why people resist so hard these crazy ideas about, the, uh, about, they get crazy ideas, they attach themselves to them, and then they defend them to the death because their identity right. is yeah. wrapped up into it. Yeah, and, and that's where in psychology confirmation bias yeah, comes exactly. into play. And what I find interesting about confirmation bias is that uh, when you have it, when when you latch on to that, where it's all about confirming what you already know, um, you'll 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 see five facts, right? And four of them oppose what you believe, um, and they're from credible sources in the whole thing. And you just ignore them for the fifth one that confirms what you believe. Um, and yeah. there's another example of of this too, which is. Um, if you think you're a superstar mm -hmm. and someone tells you you're not, you're like, well, wait a second, what do you mean? You know, and, and what I didn't mention earlier, and, and, and you illustrated this, um, is these beliefs are not casual. The beliefs that we develop about ourselves, especially in our formative years, mm -hmm. are not at all casual. In fact, they are how we understand the world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and ourselves in it, Right. So when you talk about people fighting, of course they're going to fight. If if your if your worldview is about how you survive the world, then obviously any threat to that, any mm -hmm. threat to that worldview, is is going to be shunned very very powerfully. 
Yeah. Um, and that, and that of course is the challenging in coaching and in therapy is, is, is getting people to understand that, yeah, these beliefs are not you. Exactly. Uh, they that. can change, you know, uh, I, I, I understand the attachment and, you know, look, we, we all have, the, there's not a human being that doesn't go through this. Well, right. Right. This we, is how we all we're have wired. brains. We all have the same, similar neurology. We all have these big brains <laughs> and unfortunately they get misused a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're talking about the ability to develop um, executive function, right? The, um, mm-hmm. the capacity to kind of be an observer to your experience in a more objective way so that you, someone says something to you and you want to snap back. And instead of snapping back, you go, wait, I'm noticing that I want to react, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, even though everything in me, my whole neurology my whole, I really want to like, how dare you? I, that's not true. And you're accusing, that's just not fair. All, and that doesn't, all of that's legit. I mean, maybe you need to defend mm-hmm. yourself, but, but the question is how, how do you want to do that? Do you want to do it in a reactive, right. angry, um, simplistic sort of way? Or do you want to take a breath right. and go, okay, wait. So they're angry. They're upset. All right. So mm-hmm. that's part of Let's deal that into the equation. It's not just facts at play. It's like, there's emotions at play, yours and theirs. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, I can see this is charged. I can see this matters to you. What's going on here? What has happened that has caused you to believe that? What did I do? And you get information. Now, that's just one of many approaches you can do. You can just yeah. you can say, because maybe it's just a misunderstanding. Well, you said X and I and that caused, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean, what I said was Y. Right. And uh, right. at least that's what I meant to say. That's what I want. So there's been a misunderstanding. Oh. Yes, yes. And it doesn't always work out that way, but at least you give it a chance to rather than yeah. engaging in a back and forth in a heated conversation automatically. Right, right. And that's the essence of mindfulness, right? And you uh, you really alluded perfectly to, um, to the answer to the question I asked earlier, which is how do people deal with this? How, how, do, how do people improve upon their communication skills? And it's something I learned early on um, when, when I got into personal development, um, I, I started when I was 23 and when I was 24, I connected with a group of people that were very, very dedicated to improving their lives. And they taught me a simple technique that I have been using for 34 years, which is to ask a question because you talked about weight, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that small gap in time between your thought and your next action is critical. It totally is critical. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, this, this brings upon the resources of, of mindfulness. And to me, it's, uh, it's perfectly expressed in the question, what is another possibility here? Mm -hmm. Now, the way I ask that question is very important because I'm not asking, is there another possibility? Because there always is. So when I ask, when I have a thought, and especially if I feel an emotional connection to that thought. Especially, yes. Especially, right? Because the next thing out of your mouth that's fueled by emotion is going to be pretty critical. That's exactly right. (laughs) Right? And you can't take it back, right? So if I say, what's another possibility here? I always find another possibility whether I choose that possibility is another thing, but there is always going to be another option that gets presented to me. Yes. Um, 
It could be as simple as, are you sure that they meant what you think they meant? Mm-hmm. You know, because like you illustrated very often, it's just a miscommunication. I say ABC, you hear XYZ because of the filters that you mentioned earlier, right? It just didn't come across correctly. Or it could be, it could be uh, an example of bad communication on the part of the speaker, right? They, they did mean to say something else, but the way they said it didn't convey mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, I like to give this example to people with regard to communication that just like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, communication is in the ear of the listener, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't matter what you think you said. What matters is what they heard, mm-hmm. right? And so, and again, this is where mindfulness, uh, in my opinion, becomes very, very helpful in your own communication. Like, what what are you trying to say? Is is uh, what you're saying? Are, are the words that you're using right now the best words to convey the idea that you're trying to convey? Yep. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes it's that uh, shorthand that you have in your mind that you understand and you and you use it outwardly and you think someone else is going to understand it and they just don't. Right, right. And they get a completely different impression, you know. Um, and I've had, a, I've had a few instances of that in my own life and it always blows me away because in my head I'm like, man, I, I, I thought I <laughs> made was this clear perfectly clear. I couldn't clear. be any clearer, right? Yeah. Right? I know. Right? Like, yes, that's that's what you hear Greek, a lot, right? Yeah. I couldn't be any clearer. <laughs> and, and I'll say, well, yeah, you obviously could be because I didn't get what you were saying. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's like, <laughs> it, it can be a mystery. But what you said was really uh, crucial, I think, in, ter- in, in a number of ways. One of them being, are these the best words? And so th- just to ask that question is a level of, awareness and bringing a level of skill development to a conversation that most people never really get to. And so I want to encourage your listeners, like, think about that. Are these, and how do you know, how do you know? And this is where is to know what to say or better what to say is crucially dependent on your capacity to listen. And so your Mm. ability to listen is, is, I would say the enabling skill. So there's like, first you have to be, you have to have enough mindfulness to be able to not be reactive, to create Mm -hmm. that space. That's rule. That's job one. Now what, right now you've got this spaciousness. And if you can listen from that spaciousness, there is so much more information available to you in that kind of a mindset then you that you just miss otherwise. And it, this is where it just gets crazy in my eyes because it's like if people knew, if people just knew how much they miss because they're simply not they're paying attention um, mm-hmm. in an open-minded, in an open sort of uh, sensitive way, in a, um, non-judgmental way, uh, they would they would immediately shift to this new way of being with people because it leads to so much, some such better interactions, conversations, relationships, authenticity, depth, intimacy. It all becomes green lit because it all lights up and becomes possible whenever you do that. So I'm just really underscoring if, if there's a skill you want to work on first, get present and mindful um, and there are definite practices around that, but 
The next thing is just listening. And you can work it backwards, too. You can say mindful listening. You can say, I'm just going to decide to listen really carefully and really deeply, not be judgmental, and just see what someone has to say. And see what shows up in your eyes, in your feelings, in your senses, and then how that changes the conversation. Oh, absolutely. That, that was uh, explained perfectly. And one of the techniques that I that I rely on for myself and, and I encourage in my coaching is just a simple question, which is, what did you mean by that? Yeah. You know, because again, we're hearing this, we have our filters, and I'll speak more about that in a moment, but someone says something, you know, because look, w words are just approximations of, of thoughts and feelings, right? So here's a person that has thoughts and feelings and they're trying to convey them to you. And you have your thoughts and feelings and your filters mm -hmm. and you hear something different and you could feel that feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm upset now mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. I'm angry or, uh, uh, you know, I, I resent this person or whatever. And uh, very often just stopping again, creating that, that little bit of gap yep. between thought and action, right? And, and, and just saying, what did you mean by that? Or could you explain that a little more? You know, oh, you know that part where you said this and that, can you just explain that a little more? Or that part where you said this, what did you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And it amazes me when I ask that question of someone and then when they go at it again, I get a completely different meaning than I did the first time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so it, it's, and that saves me so often. And, and I, I want to speak to the idea of filters and I, and I want to use uh, uh, something. It's a video on YouTube. Um, my guess is that you've seen this almost everybody that's in coaching and communication has, but if you haven't, I think you'll find it very interesting. The video uh, poses a question up front. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, you see that there are people wearing like basketball jerseys, right? And it, and the question is how many people are dribbling lefty and how many people are dribbling righty, hmm. right? And then the video plays and then you get to the end of the video. And the question is, did you notice anything unusual? Right. And some people like, no. Okay. How many people were, you know, there were four people dribbling righty and there were three people dribbling, whatever it is. Right. And when, and then they instruct you to go back and watch it again. And it's the same video. You're just pressing rewind and replay. And the second time, some people notice that a person dressed in a gorilla outfit has walked across the screen. Yep. In the middle of all of this. Yep. And when I heard that a significant percentage of people did not see that gorilla, because uh, that it struck me immediately. Again, I'm, I do this. So, you know, I, 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 I watch things in a different way. But I, I'm like, what is this gorilla doing in the middle of this thing? <laughs> right. And, and I was really, I was awestruck by the idea that your brain is so powerful that it can make invisible what is visible in front of your eyes. Exactly. You know, and, and another illustration of this is um, uh, eyewitness accounts. Mm -hmm. um, 
when you have a car accident, for instance, let's say you have 10 witnesses, police officers will tell you, you're going to get 10 different stories. Mm -hmm. And here's what's very interesting. In the variation between those stories, the colors of the cars are going to be different. <laughs> right? Like there's there's a, 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 a rock bottom fact about what color the cars are, right? One car was brown, one car was blue. Those are the facts. Yet people will see the colors of the cars differently. So if people don't think that their perception and their filters skew reality, you have to understand that they really do. And and the last illustration I have for this is when someone loses their their keys. You know, you're getting ready to leave and you know like most people we we time what we do to the minute so we're you know we're we're leaving so that we arrive where we're going just in time right and they can't find their keys mm -hmm. and of course you have to have your keys and now it's like all right I, oh they're probably on the dresser no they're not on the dresser uh they're probably on the coffee table oh they're not on the coffee table oh they're probably on the kitchen counter oh they're not on the kitchen counter oh damn it they they're nowhere oh my god i need these keys i got to get out of here i'm going to be late and then for some reason, everybody does this. They go to the place that they already went. They'll go back to the dresser and the keys are there. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if someone asks you, like, how did I see the keys the second time? What would you say to them? You're trying harder. You're, you're using your senses. Something in you recruited nervous energy because what happens the first time is you're going through and you're just kind of scanning and you're going i thought i left them here and you expect them to jump off the table to you and they don't right but right. but if you actually could stop and say i'm going to actually use my eyes now and i'm going to look at everything on the dresser and see and see with my eyes if they're actually there rather than just lumping it all into the category of stuff on the dresser no keys here and and it's right. just like I remembered it was, but except it's not like you remembered it was. Your brain just offered up yeah. that image, and then you walk yes. back. And that's yes. exactly I, I learned a big lesson about this when I was a young man back in the day. They used to have these contact lenses that were hard, you know. And mm -hmm. um, um, I was in a swimming pool, and I had worn my lenses for some reason, and it fell out. And into the water in the swimming pool. And I'm mm -hmm. going... Oh my God, I lost my lenses. I'm going to be in deep trouble, you know? And so I dove back into the pool and I'm looking, this is a pretty big pool. And I'm going, how am I going to find a clear contact lens in a swimming pool? And I got down to the bottom of the pool because I was kind of a water guy. I was really into the water. And I started looking and I realized that it's a pretty uniform visual experience down there. And if I really, really, really looked I would notice any kind of refraction, any kind of light change that didn't belong. And it took me about 10 minutes. And sure enough, I found it because I would just, I would, I would, it's like these days they call it like you know, walk in the grid, right? It's like you've seen it in detective <laughs> movies, you know, they walk yeah. where they in the grid and they use their eyes to see, oh, look, here's the thing that doesn't belong. And I found a contact lens in the bottom of my swimming pool. And I, and it taught me a lesson for the use the rest of my life that, you mm -hmm. can recruit your senses and actually see big stuff, small differences that matter to you. And so I use that mm -hmm. skill all the time and I use it with listening a lot too. It's like I'm yeah. really listening for what 
and this is kind of another level, kind of not only what's said, but what's not said. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's key in coaching because, you know, people uh, uh, like Christopher Walken said in True Romance, we're going to play a game of show and tell. You're going to try not to show me anything, but you're going to tell me everything. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, but that, th- that example of the pool sounds like uh, an example of mindfulness, right? And, and and something that something that you said earlier um, is something that I think is so critical to understanding how your brain works. Because when we think of the missing keys, we're, what we're talking about is your mind being so powerful as to make invisible a, a 3D object in reality mm-hmm. that's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Like you went to the dresser. The keys were on the dresser, but what you said was critical. The image that you had of the keys in your mind is what blinded you to the reality of the keys, yep. right? So what we're talking about is your imagination, right? Because, mm-hmm. again, we think in pictures, right? So when, when we think, okay, I've got to find my keys, we're literally putting a picture of our keys in our brain. And just to make it easy, let's say you thought about them uh, this way, up and down, right? But then when they were really there, they were laying this way, Mm -hmm. across. And your brain is so powerful with the image that it put into your head of of the keys being this way that you couldn't see them being this way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, I think, is is another strong indicator for why mindfulness is so important. Because how you described your process of finding the the uh, the lens is 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 perfect. Just slow everything down. That's the quiet key. your brain and and recruit your senses. Because the other part of that scenario you're talking about is what are you in touch with in that moment that you're looking? Are you in touch with the anxiety that you're that you're not? find that you don't have your keys and you're going to miss something if is that what your your nervous system is wired up to because if you if if that's driving your perception you're not going to see what's right in front of you however if you can take a breath and say no i'm not going to i'm not going to connect to the fact that this is frustrating it is frustrating and i might be late all of that is true but Mm -hmm. i instead of being in a world of all wrapped up about that in my nervous system, I'm going to just take a breath, pause, relax, and use my eyes to see. Then you can go back to being nervous about being late. <laughs> right, right, right. And and some people habitually um, are in that energy. I, I call them catastrophizers. Right? <laughs> they 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 just they thrive on chaos. Yeah. And and they don't realize that that it, it becomes sort of a an, a never ending loop is is that you know you you thrive on chaos so that you create chaos and then you have chaos right yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it just goes back and and some people never get out of that loop and that that chaos especially in the realm of relationship mm-hmm. is going to be very destructive right right so you, I mean the question. The, the thing is, if your brain will do that with keys, what will it do with people? Yes. 
you yes, know, and words. Exactly. And, yes. and ideas that matter to you. Right. Things that, it's just an right. object we're talking about. What about if somebody, right. some, your boss walks you in the room? Okay, what, what wires up that way? And, and what kind of yeah. reactivity and how can you be more objective and mindful and present when in challenging conversations that matter? Yeah, yeah. And here's uh, here's a scenario that I think matters, and I um, I very often pose this question to women. Um, it's valid for men too, but but I I find the way that women answer this question to be very interesting. So I'll say, if you love your partner, let's say it's a man, if you love if you love the man that you're with, and he likes you, is that okay? Love and like. Yeah. So, yeah, what what would you say to that? Well, is that okay? I'm I feel like I'm 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 wanting to be real careful here cuz I don't want to walk into a um, you know, a landmine so to speak. Oh, there's no wrong answer. Okay, okay. I'm just curious as to what your perspective is. <laughs> well, my is. perspective is um it depends on the people involved and it depends on the circumstances. It's sort of like maybe Maybe that's okay with one side, or maybe it's not okay with the other. It just—it's it's, what do you want out of a relationship? Is it—is it, right. uh, it a, uh, a peer-to-peer? Is it a boss to worker? Is it—is there a? Thorn? Well, in this case, it's a—it's a romantic uh, relationship, right? It's a man and a woman in, in a romantic relationship. Well, it's—if um, it's a romantic relationship, then mm-hmm. there's an implication of some kind of parity here, right? So mm-hmm. that means that. Uh, sometimes I use it to to use sort of a different metaphor. I'll, I'll use the analogy of poker chips. Like if you're playing with $10 chips and they're playing with $100, you're playing with $100 chips and they're playing with dollar chips, then mm. then the game means a lot more to you than it does to them. Mm. And, it, and, um, and it's not going to work as a way to have a long-term um, relationship. You're going to have to p- play with the same, at the same level playing field so to speak at some point or another yeah and uh, and the caveat of long-term relationship definitely uh changes that um i i definitely agree with that so i i i have um uh another another perspective on that in in the sense of how it could be okay because yes there are times where that's not going to be okay absolutely but you're i think your first answer was the best one it does depend Mm -hmm. right so my question to women very often as a follow-up is, well, if, if you love him, then that means he's being lovable. If he likes you, and I'm not using the word just to modify like, I'm saying if he likes you, not just likes you, but if he likes you, is it possible that you're being likable and not being lovable yet at this point, Right. What what do you what do you think uh, about that idea? Well, it's a possibility. There are lots of possibilities. It's also possible yeah. that it's just a dance of neurosis. You know, it's sort of like, <laughs> you know, it's like right. I I choose men or I choose partners that won't love me back because that's my story. Mm. You know, right. that I'm not lovable right. inside. I don't feel like I deserve it, or I feel like that my story is that. Whatever I do, it won't work out or someone's always going to treat me bad. So I'm always way more into relationships than they are. That's just the way things go for me. And mm, right. uh, and and so you just continually act out that script. 
Yeah, and and that's a perfect example of the impact of these narratives that we create. Yep. Um, because, and you, you touched upon this earlier, but the fact of the matter is, is that we have to make these narratives true, right? And unfortunately, we'll bend over backwards to do it. <laughs> Even when the narrative isn't true, we have to make it true. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone truly does believe that it just doesn't work out for me, then just like that confirmation bias example that I gave earlier, even if someone is sitting in front of you going, I, I want you, I want to be with you, I love you, I want to make this work, that belief that it just doesn't work out, you're going to find a way to sabotage the relationship because you have to. Because your identity is wrapped up in the idea that it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. And if it worked out, you wouldn't know what to do because that's not how life works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So, yeah, the, these these narratives are so, so important. But, yes, you know, the 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 reason I ask that question, and, I, and again, I ask it to be provocative, but it's to give people a chance to ponder the possibilities not just look at it, because very often the knee-jerk reaction that I hear, I would say 99% of the time is, well, that can't work. No, no way. If I love him and he doesn't love me, no, 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 there's no way. And, and again, just to put that little gap of time in, well, how could it be okay? You know, like, is, is, there, is there a, you know, in, in what scenario could that be okay for you? And then you start to move away from that initial knee-jerk reaction and start, you know, enlisting the rest of your senses and the rest of your resources. And you go, well, yeah, well, you know what? You know, typically men work very hard in the beginning of a relationship because we are the pursuers by nature. That's how we're designed, right? In, in all mammal species, virtually all mammal species, the man has to demonstrate whether it's strength or beauty or competency or sometimes all three, you know, like with lions, for instance, a, a male lion's mane has no function uh, <laughs> to him beyond beauty. It's there specifically to attract the female, right? And of course, again, in the in the case of lions, you know, someone's going to die in order to get this woman, right? <laughs> right? So it, it is typical for the men to pursue. And so it makes sense very often that a woman is going to feel love for this guy because he's working real hard to create that reality. And in, in that dance, in that mating dance that, that mammals do, all right, well, now that the man has done his thing, very often the woman hasn't done anything at this point. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that he would like you. And, and now, now it's your turn. Now, now go be, go be lovable and chances are he's going to love you also. Mm. Um, and, and it's also one of those very, very basic and nuanced differences between men and women in that men like, like we we're okay with liking somebody. It's very important for us to like our partners because, you know, I'm sure you've, you've spoken to, to, to men who have gotten divorced. And one of the, one of the things I hear more often than that is that, yeah, she, she just like takes me for granted. She's just not into me anymore. Mm. You know, so it's it's important for a guy to like someone. So when you start opening up the conversation and opening up the possibilities, you can see where that scenario could work for someone. 
Potentially, I, I still think it's yeah. a it's a it's a formula for not working. Um, yeah, long term, yes, yes, and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I'd like to I'd like to frame relationships something in in a, in a context other than what are you going to do for me? Uh, yeah, you know, it's like it's more like I I my preference would be to value people for who they are, not what they do so much. Mm -hmm. Although you right. can't separate. You can't get past the do. So in other words, yeah. somebody can be mostly a good person, but they have this bad habit of being a drug addict. Okay, so so <laughs> right. that's a real problem. That's, by the way, Chris, jo <laughs> uh, Chris Rock has a joke about that. He said, if she's into church and you're into crack, it's not going to yeah, work there out. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue there. And, um, and you, you kind of have to say, well, even though I like, the person I can't be around this behavior because it's a threat sure. to my relationship and a threat to them. It's just not going to work for me. Um, and yeah. so in terms of the, like the other thing I want to name is that uh, I, in my experience, a lot of men just aren't emotionally as available as, as women are. And so it's kind of like um, uh, it, it's frequent. I see men that just don't, they're not comfortable with their emotions. So it's not like, mm -hmm. well, if you'll just be loving, then I will Well, we're taught up. not to be. It's more yeah, like... We're, we're taught not to be. I mean, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a real strong no, no, uh, socialization that men go through. And so it's it's not uncommon for, um, in relationships, for one partner to be less emotionally accessible than the other. The question is, is that dynamic uh, going to work for you in the long run? Because what that sets up is a is sort of a, uh, a situation where one person winds up knocking on that door all the time. I just want you to open up and they can't for whatever reason, or they won't for whatever reason, excuse me. And the more that goes on, what generally winds up happening is that the one partner feels uh, like they become a victim or they're shortchanged or they start to have resentment build up. And, uh, and those things enter into the relationship and can kind of, make it untenable, like I said, in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, you know, to me, I, I, I believe that, um, relationships are how I feel about myself in relation to another person. So I think there's always going to be that component of what's in it for me, but to your point, it has to move beyond that. You know, because, yeah, you, you want to feel good about yourself with regard to this person, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there's got to be some reciprocity, you know, and, and, and to your point earlier, it does have to be where everyone's playing with $100 chips. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has to have skin in the game and it has to be equally significant and important uh, to, to all parties involved. Um, because they, you know, that, and that's where balance comes into things and all that stuff. Um, I just find that that question about like and love a, a good jumping off point to start to uncover people's beliefs about relationships and even beliefs about themselves in relationships. Um, and you know, and it and it, it gives the opportunity for people to reframe the conversation. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of reframing and questioning beliefs because it causes you to land on or at least begin to look at what's true for me. And when you really, if you haven't done that examination, um, it's really critical. You might find that indeed 
my beliefs, the things that I'm landing on, the things that I hold true are really important and they are grounded in the 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 forge of reality versus um, an adaption to my woundedness. And and usually we're, yeah. we have we're hybrids of both of those things. The difficulty yeah, gets absolutely. into being whenever you don't know the difference and you haven't really explored the difference. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that that's where the work comes in. You know, going back to where we started, communication. Yeah. Right. And as we see uh, or ha as we have seen in this conversation is that communication is is both how you communicate to other people, but also how you receive communication. Exactly. Um, and it's also how you communicate with yourself, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So yes, communication is the key to a good relationship, but good communication is not something that is automatic with people. We're not just born knowing how to do that. You know, we're, we're born knowing how to find food to shove in our face hole <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, how we're born knowing how to make babies. Uh, and we're born knowing how to run away from saber-toothed tigers that are trying to eat us, but we're not necessarily born knowing how to effectively communicate with other people, how to effectively communicate with ourselves, how to manage our emotions, mm -hmm. how to manage our expectations, um, and how to address conflict. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we only have a few minutes left, but uh, I, I did a, a video briefly uh, called The Three Pillars of Relationship, and one is social compatibility, uh, one is sexual compatibility. And the third one, which is where they mostly go wrong, is conflict resolution compatibility. Mm -hmm. And that's where communication is essential. Um, so uh, any final thoughts on, on this topic? Well, yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right in the sense of uh, uh, what you're saying. Well, not in the sense of, but you are right in what you're saying, that, that communication is central. And I find it uh, has been so powerful in my life to be able to really listen and pay attention to what's important to other people, learning how to play back in a way, like one of the, the skills we didn't talk about is, and you mentioned it's sort of like, um, if I recall right, you were talking about um, saying, what what's going on here? Asking the question, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. else could be happening? Yeah. Um, and yeah. another way, another technique is to just Use your own words to say what you think you heard um, mm -hmm. and just play it. Say, is this true? What I heard you and we and I do this all the time. What I heard you say was this. Right. And right. is this so? And you get agreement about the yes. thing. And because I you can go clarity. On, you can go on a long time about. No, I didn't say that. No, and it's amazing right, how right, how people will right. put words in your mouth. Well, you said that you always want to do why? Because no, I never yeah. said always. Yeah. Right. I said, right. this is the way it happens sometimes. And you can, yeah. until you get some agreement on what you're actually talking about. And uh, yeah. uh, rather than being so. And that's why, that's why clarity is so important. I, I used to have this argument, uh, you know, and it was always that. I was like, yeah, I didn't say that. And, and I realized what was happening. She was hearing uh, what she thought I meant 
rather than what I was actually saying. And then later on, never remembering what I said, but only what she thought I meant. Precisely. That's why I tell, I tell women all the time, you don't need a decoder ring with me. I say exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking and you don't have to interpret because if you interpret, you're going to have, you, we're going to have problems, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. No interpretation necessary. Mm. Mm. So Brett, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate your time. Uh, please let everybody know how they can find you. They can find me at my website, which is languageofmindfulness.com. So it's a lot to say, but you can, uh, you can uh, Google Brett Hill mindfulness and you can find me. Uh, so yeah, that's me, Brett Hill. And I do coaching. I do communications coaching and also just straight up coaching. Um, work a lot with intuition, empathy, conversation, speaking, you know, job interviews, you know, where anything, mm. anything yeah. where you want to come across in a way which you, where you feel more authentic and whole and connected to your world and to your voice and, and, and learning to connect your voice up to that so that you can put more of your goodness into the world. That's what I'm all about. There you go. Put more of your goodness into the world. That's a perfect uh, way to express it. Again, thank you so much. To, and to everybody listening, please connect with Brett online. Um, and uh, once again, peace, love, and granola. This has been Chocolate Chat. Take care, everybody. We'll talk okay. to you soon. Bye.